If you have God's word, I want to invite you today. I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 and 20 in just a little bit. Again, go to Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 19 and 20. And getting ready for the message, um, I, I began to think about an experience that my wife and I had. It was at a pastor's and spouse's retreat in Branson, Missouri. How many has been to Branson? I mean, it's a, it's a tourist town. And, uh, I mean, when you're on the main drag, it's bumper to bumper. The cars are just moving really slow. And we're at this pastor's and spouse's retreat. And, and we were in our green Ford Aerostar van. And it was myself and two other pastors and my, my wife. And, of course, their two wives are the pastor's wives. And we're just kind of creeping along. And all of a sudden, we notice on the right-hand side is this brand-new restaurant. It was a grand opening. And the title, the name of the restaurant was Kenny Rogers Roasters. That's right. And guess who was on the sidewalk? <clears throat> I mean, just 15 feet or maybe 10 feet from, you know, our side window there. Just right there on the sidewalk. It was Kenny Rogers. That's right. And, and the women in the van kind of squealed just a little bit. And the sliding door slid open. And they jumped out, ran over us guys. We stayed in the van. And I waited for them. We all waited for the ladies. And they went over there. And Kenny Rogers gave them a picture. And, and they signed the picture. And it was kind of a fun experience. Um, but I mentioned that because when, when I was thinking about that experience and about Kenny Rogers, what came to mind was the song that Kenny Rogers made popular. I mean, I mean, this was the big one. How many know what that song was? How many know what that song was? The song that Kenny Rogers really made popular, really made big. Yeah, The Gambler, that's right. It was The Gambler. And, and when you look at the song... And you read the verses, I, I need to warn you, they're pretty rough. I mean, they, they are pretty worldly verses. But it's the chorus that we all remember so well. And I, I want to read the chorus for you. Here's the chorus at Kenny Rogers, his song, The Gambler. You've got to know when to hold him. You remember that. You've got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. Now, obviously, this song is about more than just this gambling idea, because like so many songs, this is really about life. And there's a real somber aspect to the song when we look at the last phrase of the song, which is when the Dylan's done, meaning when life is over. And I'm not trying to be insensitive, but the truth is we are investing our life in really one of two options. Listen to this. We are investing our life, or we are wagering our life, so to speak, in one or two options. And the first is that God really does exist. God really does exist. Or he does not exist. I mean, that's the two options. In fact, that kind of brings us to what is called the Pascal's wager. And Blaise Pascal, a 17th century French philosopher, theologian, mathematician, and physicist, his argument was, is that he posits that humans bet with their lives that God either exists or does not exist. What Pascal argues, he argues that a, a rational person should live as though God exists and seek to believe in God. If God does not actually exist, such a person will have only a finite loss. In other words, you know, pleasures, luxury, you know, it's this life. I mean, the, the total, you know, package of this life, that's it. Because, you know, there's no God. Or there is a God. And we understand that when we believe and, and, and know that God exists, that there is this wonderful blessing that is coming our way and it is everlasting life is the eternity of heaven. But if you do not believe that God exists and, and, and you're wrong, 
Imagine the loss that you experience, the eternity in heaven and, and even the infant losses of eternity in hell. It's interesting. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount takes a turn whereby he is building on this reality. And I imagine Jesus sitting on the side of the hill. It's a Sermon on the Mount beginning there in Matthew chapter 5, of course, down through about chapter 7. We're going to be looking at that and moving all over it. But as you imagine Jesus sitting on the side of that hill and he's beginning this sermon. And I, I've been to the Holy Land. And I, I've seen where they, 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 they guessed that he probably was delivering the Sermon on the Mount. And I see the Sea of Galilee there at the end of the valley, down at the bottom of the hill, there is Jesus that is presenting this sermon. And it's more than just a list of ideas or points that he had. I believe at this point in Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 19 and 20, that Jesus is pleading with those that are listening. He says it this way. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I love the way that Oswald Chambers puts a point on this. He writes about the Sermon on the Mount this way. He says the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. When the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives and, and, and he is in, and you know, the one that is the pilot of our ship. In fact, this has to be read in spiritual context. I mean, as we read it, and, and more specifically in a biblically spiritual context when we look at this passage. Because when we go to the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, I understand that many people, they look at the Sermon on the Mount and they see, you know, different portions of it. Or maybe they take bits and pieces of it and they say in their mind, yeah, that's a flag that I can fly under. I mean, I really like what Jesus said there. Or I really like what Jesus said there. And we say, yeah, that's good. But you see, Jesus was doing more than just unfurling the flag of the ship of of everlasting life, man. He was talking about the very thing that directs our life. He is saying this is more about it being the rudder that guides us in the path of righteousness where God has called us. So we, we look at this and we see Jesus was trying to really get at that whole idea. In fact, he does it by, of course, mentioning, you know, uh, mentioning the treasures that could refer to the contents of a a treasure box, so to speak. As we look at that, Um, he he talks about, you know, moths that are are often associated with the destruction of fabric. And you can imagine, you know, how fabric was made in that century. And I'm not sure, you know, John, what kind of apparatus that they used in that very first century as they were, you know, weaving or making their claws or their clothing. But I imagine it was painstaking. I imagine it took some hours, right? It took maybe even some weeks for their clothing. And, and, and then here comes this moth or this vermin that begins to destroy the clothing. And that was a very costly thing. And so that's the idea, the value that's placed there. Then, of course, the Greek word we find here, which is brosis, that's spelled B-R-O-S-I-S, brosis, which is sometimes translated as rust. But when we really get down to it, mostly it is saying it is this eating away. I mean, hang with me here. It is this eating away. It's like the oxidization of of what metal experiences as it is deteriorated or as it goes through the rusting process. And it's destabilizing the stability of that metal or of that thing is this eating away away. And as I read this, it's this idea that is eating away at me and how society is eating away at us. 
And so what am I saying today? Maybe do you suppose that there are things or circumstances or tensions or polarizing issues that begin as hairline fractures in our faith? And then we realize that it is these things that are eating away at us. And maybe it's our sure confidence or our, our civil security or whatever that is shaking us because things are shaking us right now. And I think every one of us would agree to that, that there are things that are shaking us right now and maybe even shaking up or knocking off balance our spiritual equilibrium. And I think it's an invitation as we read this passage, really just two verses that Jesus gives us here about having and experiencing balance in life. And if we remember, balance came to us in life because of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. And I believe the proposal here is that that's exactly how balance will be restored. Listen to me, church. This is how balance will be restored. It'll be in and through Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ that we have spiritual balance again in life. And I know this might be kind of a big leap, but I want to say this. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we can only hear and see God when we are denied him. Think of that. Sometimes we can only hear and see God when we are denied him. Which explains when we think about, you know, those places, you know, in the world that it is not legal to be a Christian. In fact, their lives are at stake if they begin to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And it's very, very risky. And they're being denied this faith in God. I was sitting in the airport with a friend who was a pastor of Nampa College uh, Church of the Nazarene. And we'd been at a conference together. And we're sitting there in the, the airport waiting for our plane to catch our plane. And we were talking about, you know, getting back to work. But he said, yeah, I'm headed to China from here. I said, well, tell me about that. And he was going to China because what he was doing at that time, this was some years ago, what he was doing at that time, different pastor than College Church has now. But uh, it was some time ago. And... And he said, yeah, I'm headed to China because I'm working with the, the, the underground church. And, and there's this thing that's happening. There's this movement that is happening in China because it's illegal to be a Christian. And there are these basement churches that are popping up everywhere. And it's absolutely exploding. I, I listened to that. And I was just enamored. And I believe the more the pressure, greater the spread or greater the pressure, greater the spread when it comes to the kingdom. In fact, I, I remember one of the, the general superintendents sharing at General Assembly in 2017, <clears throat> excuse me, 2017. And they were sharing tragic stories of pastors in the 1040 window. And geographically, the 1040 window is a portion of our globe geographically that it is illegal to be a Christian. I mean, they're very dangerous countries to live in and to serve in as far as the kingdom goes. Because their life is at risk and they're telling these testimonies or stories, of course, withholding their names of pastors that were being beheaded or being sorted or they're being killed in some way. And they were martyrs for the sake of Jesus Christ. And as they were given the story and sharing the narrative and talking about those pastors, they, they continued to, to share that in that story, the victory was that every time and for every pastor that was martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ, that literally an average of 23 new churches popped up in his place. 23 new pastors. Because why? Greater the pressure, greater the spread. And, and, and sometimes we can only hear and see God when we are denied him. So maybe the question is, when was the last time 
that your faith required you to gamble your life? I mean, why does it take deep, deep darkness for us to see to the light or begin to even want to see the light? And, and when we look at these passages or these two verses, these verses are a punctuation to the question, what do you really treasure when Jesus you know, poses this? I mean, what do you really treasure? In, in fact, the passage gives us two big ideas, and I want to share them with you. There are two big ideas that I believe that just jump right out at us. The first one is this. I mean, make notes here. The first one is this. Jump the treasure. That's right. You heard me right. Jump the treasure. Jump over the treasure and keep your eyes on the kingdom and your heart in the game. That's the challenge that Jesus has given us here. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us how to do this. And it's really kind of expanding our view beyond just verses 19 and 20. And what's happening here is God is saying, okay, here's how you sail out into the sea of life. And this is how you unfurl yourselves and live the Christian life. And then Jesus gives us some points here as we look at the next verses. In fact, go to verse 20. 25 through 34. Just glance at that. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Take a moment and turn there. Go to Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse 25 through 34. And there in the beginning, you see what the challenge is. He's saying, here's how we live this life is we do not worry. (laughs) Be careful not to worry. That's the phrase that I put in my notes here. Be careful not to worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Why? Because nothing drags you down, guys. Listen to this. Nothing drags you down like worry. Nothing. I I mean, it's like living with a wet blanket. If you took a blanket off a a queen-size bed, say, and put it in a tub of, of water, and you took that blanket and slopped it over yourself, it would be like walking around all day with that blanket on you because worry wears you down and weighs on you just like that. He's saying here, do not worry. Do not worry because see, life is more than just about food. It's more than about the body and about, you know, our clothing and all those temporal things. And then it's like he comes down with a hammer and he says, remember this worry thing. This is the lifestyle of pagans. It's a lifestyle of pagans. So what Jesus wants to remind us of here is that God wants to begin his work on you. He wants to begin his work on you. And then we go to chapter 7. Go to chapter 7 if you're in Matthew still and go to verses 1 through 6 there. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Take a moment. Give you a chance to turn there. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Look at verses there beginning verse 1, 1 through 6. And and then he, he really is encouraging us to be careful not to judge. So be careful not to worry and then be careful not to judge. And he writes, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And why look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank that is sticking out of your own eye? So he's addressing the hypocrisy of the church here and saying, yeah, it's riddled with it. And so we need to be, you know, careful because God is doing some work on us, wants to do some work on us. So just as God wants to begin his work on you, God wants to begin his work with you. And that is key because this is a God that is merciful. He wants to begin his work with you. This means that you are worthy. It's not that God is setting you aside because of your faults or because of the things that are not right in your life. Because maybe you're not spiritually where you should be. Man, this is a God that loves you and he wants his grace to be poured out upon you. So God wants to begin his work with you just as he wants to begin his work on you. And then we go to verses 7 and 12 in chapter 7. And he says, be careful to seek the best that God has for you. 
And he uses the, the ask, seek, and knock principle. And he goes on to illustrate that saying, if an evil person wants to give good gifts to his children, an evil person giving good gifts to his children, how much more than would a God who is holy and righteous and a God that came and he went to Calvary for us because he loves us. And he died for us. And, and, and this is our creator, our father. How much more he wants to give good gifts to us. And so this is a God that wants to begin his work on you. He wants to begin his work with you. And this is a God that wants to begin his work for you. So that's the big idea that I see there in those first couple of verses there. Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. Jump, you know, jump the treasure. The second big idea. The second big idea I see here in these two verses is do not leave the door open for the thieves, right? I mean, why make it easy for them? And, and in this passage, in, in the sermon here, we see some characteristics of thieves, and I want to you know, speak about them. In fact, there's two characteristics I want to mention. The first one is this, is that thieves want to break things. Thieves want to break things. Or the thief, follow me, the thief wants to break things. Like your marriage. Like unity in the church. Like how about your relationship with God. And, and mostly you see the enemy. I mean the, the thief wants to break down your spirit. Because remember from a few weeks ago. He is a lion roaming to and fro. Seeking people to devour. He wants to destroy you. He wants to pummel you. He wants to break your spirit. He really does. And, and, and in fact, life is, is, is like that sometimes. I wish this was a, 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 a victorious, you know, happy ending scenario. But I, I want to share with you a story about Sam Ross or Sam Ross in his life. He was an Iraq veteran who was injured in an explosion during a munitions disposal operation in Baghdad. Now, get this in your mind. At 20 years of age, he was blinded. Deafened in one ear, and he lost his left leg below the knee. In the New York Times article, Sam said, I came home a hero, and now I'm just a bum. I mean, that grabbed my attention right there. I came home a hero, but now I'm just a bum. I was overwhelmed by severe symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, including routine nightmares of floating over Iraq that ended with a blinding boom when I was self uh, medicating with alcohol and illegal drugs. I finally hit rock bottom when I landed in the state psychiatric hospital where I was thrilled to be. And 17, I thought this said seven, but 17 times I tried to commit suicide, Sam writes. He goes on to say some other things about the fact that he was facing charges of arson because he burns up a, a mobile home where his stepmother lived, where his father had killed his stepmother, and, and that he was on charges for murder. And I mean, all kinds of stuff was just coming down on him. And he said this. He says, the system's broken because all the system has done is tried to help me and address the needs of my body, you know, prosthetics and medication. But the system has done nothing for my soul. It's done nothing for my soul. And I think that's what Jesus is really, you know, trying to get at here because the enemy wants us to think that it's all about the here and the now. It's about the body and these things that are so temporal. But remember the scripture says that our lives are but a mist. And that's where the enemy wants to break you down. This is where he wants to erode your strength and your faith and your spirit. And Jesus, though, he wants in the Sermon on the Mount here to give attention to your soul, to, to your heart. 
The text goes on to say that in contrast to all the material things that can be destroyed and stolen, remember rust and moth and vermin and all that, investments in heaven cannot be threatened by any of these when your life is pummeled like Sam and your spirit is just broken down like Sam. That when there is this eternal value that you discover in Christ, there is nothing this world can throw at you. So thieves... Uh, Without any question, thieves want to break things. Uh, The second idea here is that thieves want to steal from you. Thieves want to steal your self-esteem. Thieves want to steal your inspiration. The thief, you know, wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your hope. But mostly, he wants to steal your faith. He wants you to believe, he wants you to buy in that there's no way out, there's no way over, there's no way through, there's no way up. You see, that's what the enemy wants you to buy into. But you see, God is promising us in this passage right here that there is a way that God has provided a way. And the way that he provides in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, it is this faith that he gives us. For it is by grace that we're saved by faith. So not of ourselves, but a gift of God. So the very capacity of having faith, you see, is what God has given us, that faith. (laughs) I love this little story, and I have to share this with you. It's about a little girl. She's six years old, and it's just to kind of illustrate my point. She's six years of age, and she's going on a train ride. This was many years ago when people traveled by train often. And she's on a train ride, and her mom's watching her, and... And it's the first time she's been on a train, and the train has to cross several large rivers and, and several wide streams. And every time the train was approaching a river or stream, I mean, she would be looking out the window, and she's looking down at the river and, you know, the curve of the train. And, and, and every time she would become taut, her hands would, you know, come together, and she'd squeeze each hand because she was afraid. She didn't say it, but she was afraid. And so the train continued to do this every time she had this fear crossing the river, crossing the wide stream. And, and then after about two rivers, two wide river crossings and about six or seven streams, finally, she just kind of plopped back against the bench. And she put her hands behind her head like this and sighed. And she says, thank goodness, Mom, somebody's built bridges for us all along the way. <laughs> so cute. Thank goodness. Somebody has built us bridges all along the way, and that is the bridge of faith, the bridge of relationship to God. And that bridge is through Jesus Christ. God has built bridges all along the way. And maybe you've never been in relationship with God. Maybe you've never experienced having faith in Jesus Christ. But listen to me. God loves you today. He wants to have relationship with you. And he's provided a way where it seems like there's no way. There's no way through. There's no way up. There's no way over. Here's the good news. There is a way. There is a way. That way is Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to just think about that for a moment. Just ponder on that. Even as you're listening there at home or wherever you're at here on campus, that there is a way. It's Jesus Christ. And maybe you've never turned to Christ. Or maybe it's just something that's, you know, being renewed in you, this faith that you have for Christ. And I want to invite you just to turn to him and just trust him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I need your strength. Lord, I know you are the bridge between me and God. And so, Jesus, I'm going to I'm going to accept you. I'm going to ask you to be a part of my life. I want to invite you to do that with me right now. Let's pray. Precious father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord. That you are God that makes a way when it seems like there's no way. 
We just sang today, Waymaker, that you're the Waymaker. Lord, what a promise. That you're the Waymaker. That you're the hope that, that is ours in Jesus Christ and that Father in Heaven, that in the midst of this life, as our lives are shattered and turned upside down and inside out, that, Lord, we do not have to fear because Thou art there. You are here. You love us. And so, Father in Heaven, I pray for that one right now. Their heads bowed, their eyes closed, wherever they're at in the world right now, whatever place and space they're in, I, he- I pray that You would hear their voice. I pray that you would answer their prayer. Pray with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I love you today. I believe, Lord, that you love me. And you sent your Son, Jesus, to come to this earth. To live among us. To show us how to live. And then he died for us on the cross. So Jesus, thank you for your gift. Thank you for first loving me. Jesus, I want you to be in my life. I know, Lord, that you're, you're the bridge that we need. So, Lord, just give me this faith tonight to trust in you, to love you, to not fear anything that's happening. Lord, you are the way maker. We trust you, Father, that we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. And for those that are at home, just congratulations if you prayed this prayer. If God's renewing your faith, your strength, I just want to say bless you. We have a gift for you in the office, by the way. You have to come by the office. and uh, Or if you're out of state, call us and we'll mail it to you. But we have a gift for you. And it's a little bracelet to remind you of our message last Sunday, which is fear not. He loves you. He holds you, you. He keeps you. And so we have these for you as a gift. We're going to be handing them out at church. But if you want us to mail you one, contact us, and we'd be happy to do that. We just want to encourage you, tell you that God loves you, and we love you. Have a good Sabbath morning. God bless.